Hello, Marketeers. Welcome to another episode of AEC Marketeer Podcast, exploring AEC marketing and beyond. I'm your host, Keelan Cox, and I'll be exploring marketing trends and answering your most pressing questions to help you thrive as an AEC Marketeer. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Marketeers. Today, I have on Lindsay Divin. She's a CPSM. Lindsay has more than 15 years of experience in this industry and is a senior consultant with Full Sail Partners. At Full Sail, she works with clients to implement Deltec CRM system, as well as the black box connector that brings CRM data to systems like Constant Contact, MailChimp, and HubSpot. She is the founder of Marketers Take Flight, an AEC industry-specific marketing and BD training company and is the creator of the Proposal Pro course. Welcome, Lindsay. Hi, thanks for having me on. I've been listening to this for some time and I'm so glad to be here. Likewise, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. (laughs) Yes. So before we get into it, how did you get started in this industry? What's your story? Yep. So my story is probably like a lot of your listeners. I had no idea what an AEC marketer was. Um, responded to an ad on monster.com back in the day Okay. Yeah. Um, for a marketing coordinator role back in 2005 and got hired and the, the rest is history. So I do have a degree in marketing from the University of Florida, but had really no idea, right? Like we all do when we leave college, like what that is going to be. I always envisioned working at some company, doing their marketing, and fell into this world of my first firm was an engineering firm. So engineering, roadway, transportation, infrastructure engineering, putting together proposals. Perfect. So you also have this great podcast, Marketers Take Flight, and you recently wrapped up season one. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I always get asked this question, but I never get to ask it. What prompted you to start that podcast? Oh yeah, that's a great question. So I discovered podcasts myself starting around 2012, 2013. I had a long commute and so I was listening to audiobooks, but then I discovered podcasts and just fell in love with them. Mm-hmm. And and I had I had the blog where I was doing a lot of writing, blog writing, ebooks, you know, written content. And I always wanted to do audio content and just never had the time up until a couple of years ago, just with workload and family life. And so last year I was like, I'm doing it. And so in 2020, (laughs) before any of the pandemic hit the fan, I already started like recording and setting it up and I'm like, well, let's just do it. And so it launched in June of 2020. And And I really like listening to podcasts because I feel like you really make a connection with people, with either the host or the guest. And it's just another medium to learn from and to feel connected. And so that's why I personally like podcasts. And sometimes it's a lot easier to explain things than over a conversation than it is in the written word you know, static on a page and we're all just really busy. So a lot of times people speed up podcasts so they can get listened to twice as much. Sure. Yeah. Or multitask, go on a walk and listen to something Mm -hmm. or drive like you were saying Mm -hmm. and listen to something. Definitely. 
So you have this unique opportunity at Full Sail Partners to work with a bunch of different companies implementing Dell Tech. And I'm curious, what do you see as some commonalities between the firms that you work with in terms of business processes? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, this is it, my job is really exciting. I love working with marketing teams, principals, even accountants. Now I work with a lot of all facets of the business of our firms and all over the country and up into Canada and all different size firms. So from, you know, my smallest CRM implementation was a 15 person firm up to, you know, thousand person and plus firm. So a lot of different dynamics, but I would say there's some obvious things that are all common or all project-based firms, meaning that our marketing and sales efforts and even the way that we get revenue is around our projects. We identify projects to pursue. We go after those projects. We perform on the projects. And that's a lot different than you know other industries that are maybe SaaS-based or technology-based or product-based or even straight service-based industries. So you know, our whole kind of being, especially on the marketing and BD side, it revolves around potential projects and opportunities and producing those proposals to win those projects. And then I would say another commonality that I see is that no matter if they have, if a firm has a CRM or not, the baseline or the first place they really start their analytics or their tracking is a list of proposals. A list of proposals that are either waiting to come out or working on or have submitted. Mm -hmm. So it kind of revolves. And when I say they, the marketing departments or the proposal departments. Sure. Okay. So then flipping that, what Mm -hmm. are some of the major differences that you see between these firms? Yeah. So there are, there's like two big camps and I'm going to sound a little contradictory. There's, there are firms that track and then there's firms that don't track. And when Mm -hmm. I say the firms that don't track, they might have that just that list of like the marketing person or the proposal manager, the list of proposals that person is working on. (laughs) Like that's, that's the limitation of the tracking. And then there's a lot of firms that don't track anything, not even like the proposals they've submitted to like Mm -hmm. follow back up on, which is amazing. These firms that, you know, they're not small. And they don't have anything. And I'm not saying you need, every firm needs a CRM, but like we all have Excel, (laughs) you know, we all have spreadsheets. And so a basic list of proposals. And then a lot of firms, you know, are either in a camp of not, don't even track or don't identify a sales goal or a revenue goal or track any expenses or budgets or like what they're spending. It just all gets lumped into one number, marketing. (laughs) and everybody charges their time to it. And then they have no goals. So it's, these firms are really missing a real opportunity in terms of tracking just a little bit or having any idea of what direction to go into because they don't know how they're doing. You bring up such a fascinating point there that has always really perplexed me, I guess is the right word, that there are still firms that don't track proposal spend. It seems to make such sense to me why you would, but what case would you make to bother tracking proposal spend? 
Yeah, I say there are two big benefits, I guess I would say, to track proposal spend. And what I would say is I would caveat with tracking the proposal spend or, you know, the effort it takes on the proposals into not just having some one number, one timesheet number that's proposals Hmm. and they're all lumped together. What I'm going to talk about is those proposals that you want to see the, you know, having separate numbers for them. some kind of division. So I wanted to caveat that first before I say the benefits, but the benefits, there's two big like main benefits. There's a bunch of other ones, but the two big main ones for me is first, if you're not tracking what your proposals or your pursuits are, and let's say pursuits, because proposal is just one part of the pursuit, right? You have the the presentation, you have the negotiation, you have the pursuit tracking if you're not tracking that, you really can never really gauge how truly profitable your projects are. So if you don't know that in order to win that project that you're expecting $100,000 in revenue, but it costs you $30,000 to win, is that really profitable? And is that sustainable? you know, to keep going and to keep going. Now there's always what ifs, right? Oh, it's a new client. So it's going to cost more. There's always those what ifs, Hmm. but in order to truly gauge how profitable a project is, you should account for what it costs you to win the project and what it costs you to perform the project. And then what you collected from the client. And then that, you know, gives you your true profitability. Right. And when you're talking about proposal spend, I'm just going to assume that you're talking about people's time in addition to production costs and, you know, all the the extra stuff that might go into preparing a proposal. Exactly. Exactly. So that's one big reason profit. And, you know, if there's something that like firm owners and principals understand and CFOs, it's profitability. So that's like one good that speaks their language. The other big reason is to, if you're not breaking down your pursuit or proposal spend, maybe by amount of hours, you know, not dollars, mm-hmm. but hours, you don't know how much it's effort it takes to put together a winning pursuit. And if you don't know that, it's a lot harder to justify adding more resources. Sure. So let me give you an example. At my previous firm, I came in. And they knew the department was way understaffed. And that was part of my new role was to build up the marketing department. So what I did was, you know, we got through kind of the, you know, I hired somebody, added one person, you know, got through kind of like the end of the year. So I was planning for the next year. And what I did was because they set up project numbers for every pursuit and every proposal, I was able to break that down And for the previous year and kind of get an average, like our education proposals average this many hours and our aviation proposals average this many hours and calculate that and then use our business plans, you know, or predict how many proposals we are going to have the next year. And I was able to say, well, we need two and a half more full-time equivalents if we want to produce this many proposals. Right. And I and I presented that to my president and he's like, yeah, no problem. Go, this makes sense. Go out and find them. Now finding them, that's a whole nother topic, right? Sure. We could probably do another <laughs> yeah. podcast episode on that. But it really spoke to the numbers. So if you're a marketing manager or a proposal manager, 
and you are feeling understaffed or you don't have enough resources, which a lot of us feel like that today, it's really hard to just justify hiring another, you know, full-time employee based on feeling, right? So it's a lot easier on numbers. And that's the exact same way that they do it on the technical side in the production departments. They look at their backlog and the number of hours and then the number of full-time equivalents they have and what's the difference. So they can do that because they have project numbers because it's billable work. So we need to have that on the proposal side to be able to look at that and track the amount of hours our proposals are taking and then use that to plan for our resources in the future, just like our firms plan for our project execution. Sure. And maybe this is a totally separate issue, but one of the things that I've heard more recently is they've got a lot of marketing burnout and don't know Mm -hmm. how to quantify that. So that's just another tool in your Mm -hmm. resource bucket to prove, you know, we can't take on X many proposals because each of them take so many hours. So that might be a totally separate conversation, but (laughs) (laughs) what you're putting forward here does help. Yeah. So, so just to kind of sum it up. So, you know, by having by tracking specific pursuits or proposals and tracking the time and expenses that those are taking individually, you can really gauge how truly profitable your projects are. So what it's really costing you to win those projects and help you plan out what resources it has taken in the past and plan out what additional resources, if any, that you need in the future. On a related note, Mm -hmm. there are also firms that don't track opportunities in a pipeline. And it seems to me that the benefits of tracking in a pipeline should be self-evident, but what have you seen in your work and how do you typically address the issues that you see? Yeah. So I do work with a lot of firms, you know, they come to me when they're implementing CRM. So they're usually starting either with a basic spreadsheet or nothing. And so they want to do something, want to have some better information in the system. So what we usually start with are those kind of low-hanging fruit or the baskets. So start with tracking the proposals you're working on and start with some basic information, the client name, the project name, ideally some kind of estimated fee or what, you know, what the value is of that project to your firm and some kind of date. So it could be the proposal due date, the date you're going to sign the contract, the date you're going to start work. By starting with those basic pieces of information and putting those either in a spreadsheet or in a CRM database, you can then start building your pipeline out. And then another like kind of nice to have would be some kind of stage, right? Because the pipeline has stages. So, you know, did you just hear about it and it's a lead? Are you working on the proposal? Have you submitted the proposal? You know, are you waiting decision? You know, have you won it, but now you're negotiating? So those are your different pipeline stages. And depending on your procurement types and your client types, you know, the the stages could be very simple, like I just said, or they could be very complex. (laughs) But most of the time they're, it's either before the proposal, during the proposal and some kind of selection. (laughs) Right, yep, yep. So in an ideal world, what would every firm have in place in terms of business processes? Yeah, so I would say 
definitely, definitely, definitely a list or a system to track potential new work, aka your pipeline that we just talked about. That includes, and I'll caveat this, that includes estimated fees or contract values. I see a lot of firms and I work with a lot of firms and they're like, well, we don't know the fee. We don't know what our revenue is going to be. Well, it's, you can't put part of a pipeline is dollar amount and magnitude of, you know, of size of that project and how that's going to affect your firm. So I, I push back and say, well, you need to know or have a best guess in knowing that the pipeline is like a crystal ball, like it's going to change. But your project managers and your principals, if they're going after that type of work or that type of project, they should know kind of the order of magnitude of what that means revenue-wise to your firm. And if they don't, then you probably shouldn't be going after the project. So I would say some kind of pipeline, including estimated fees. Sometimes people do contract values. Sometimes they do estimated fees, but some kind of dollar amount. And then um, I know I'm preaching to the choir on this next one, but some kind of go, no-go evaluation to continually evaluate whether a potential project is still worth it to chase. Mm -hmm. So we used to do go, no-go, I would say discussions, talks, Mm. as we found out about new information for a potential project. So some firms have a very rigid process and forms. Others have discussions. Do what works for your people. (laughs) but have those conversations, make sure that it's still worth it to chase it for your firm at that time. And you have a good likelihood of winning the project. Those are kind of the two scales we have those discussions around. And then the last business process are goals and budgets. Mm -hmm. I can't believe how many firms that I work with have no sales goal, have no revenue goal, And then they have no budgets. And even if they had a budget, they have no ways to track what they're spending, right? Because we already talked about that. And so this is just so fundamental for any business to have goals and budgets, because how can you gauge how well you're performing or where you need to readjust and what it's costing your firm to, to meet those goals? So I strongly, strongly, strongly encourage everyone to set goals. And the first time you do it, you're going to be wrong. You're just (laughs) going to do your best guess and just get over it. But set a goal, set a budget. Hopefully the budget is tied to the goals, to the activities needed to meet those goals. And so those three processes, these again are like through the lens of marketing and business development, but they affect firm-wide. So they really need to be a necessity in every architecture, engineering, construction firm. Totally. Period. Period. Like (laughs) end of sentence. (laughs) Right. Yep. All right. Well, if our listeners wanted to learn more about you or your work, where should I direct them? Yeah. So I am on LinkedIn. So Lindsay Divin, I try to be on there a couple times a week. Feel free to reach out and connect to me there. And then on the Marketers Take Flight website, so marketerstakeflight.com, there is a plethora of articles. I mean, that I've been writing on that since 2012. So there's a plethora of articles and templates and free resources, as well as some training, on-demand training, and then the podcast, obviously, the Marketers Take Flight podcast. Perfect. And so I will include all those links in the show notes. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me, Lindsay. Well, thanks for having me. 
All right, Marketeers, that is a wrap on this week's episode of the AEC Marketeer podcast. If you haven't already checked out Lindsay's podcast, Marketers Take Flight, I highly recommend you do so. And if you're enjoying this podcast, I would invite you to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. New episodes are released every other Wednesday. Chat soon.